Welcome to another episode of Toad's Tunes. My name is Toad. Today we're sitting down with Adam Sanders. We talked 2020 and how we gave him the opportunity to finally record his debut album. We're talking 100 million streams as an independent artist. We dive into being able to play shows again, building relationships with the industry and artists. We talk about his two number ones. Being on the road with Dustin Lynch, you know what? Enough's enough. Let's get to know Adam Sanders. Welcome to another episode of Toad's Tunes, sitting here today with Adam Sanders. What's up? Dude, welcome to Vegas again. I saw you, what, what, three weeks ago? I think so. You came out with Miranda, and I always space the other guys. James name. McNair. Dude, what a show. Dude, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've, I've heard such great things about Stoney's um, for years, and we were on the way out, and, and I was telling Josh, I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks. He was like, dude, you're going to love it, and then, you know, show up, and you're like the mayor around here. My drummer already knew who you were, and, like, I mean, Josh was like, dude, you know, this toad's great, so it's, uh, it's awesome to be here uh, playing a full band show tonight. I'm excited. Um, we did a thing in April because we couldn't do full band. We couldn't do full capacity, so we did a lot of acoustic stuff. And a couple of the artists that came through acoustic have already come back as full band. And, man, what a difference. I've missed it so much. Yeah. Dude, 2020, bit us all. Let's touch on that for one sec. What's the one thing that you take as the highlight of 2020, as bad as it was for everybody, not being on the road, not being able to hang out with your fans, family, anything like that? Like, what's the one thing you took out of it as the man? You know, 2020 for, for me, I can't speak for a lot of people, but it allowed me to go in and record my debut album. At that point in my career, you know, I just released singles and an EP, and uh, when I hit about 100 million streams uh, as an indie artist, I was like, okay, it's time to, to get a cohesive project together. And so it was the perfect opportunity to for me to, you know, take time and, and, and do it right. And so... It was awesome because it was a year of where it felt like we were stagnant, but we were really working behind the scenes. And so as we rolled into 2020, you know, one, man, uh, we've hit the ground running and, you know, the album came out in May, you know, so it, it was finished um, at the end of 2020. And so now we're out, you know, every weekend playing shows, you know, like I was telling you, we were uh, in Mississippi uh, last night and here we are in Vegas tonight. And so crazy how that works, right? Yeah, it's a lot Dude, of fun. That's pretty neat. I think a lot of people found a new focus and a new appreciation for what their quote-unquote job is mm -hmm. per, per, per se did you miss being out on the road yeah for sure and um you know i think we're so blessed and sometimes we get a little little spoiled you know a little bit because we, we do it so much you know and so for me it's even extra icing on the case because uh, on the cake because when we stopped touring i was in a sprinter van with you know a trailer and had a five-piece band and that was pretty much it Right. Now, you know, because of the progression in my career and this album, we moved to a bus. I got a lighting rig. I got a monitor guy, you know, tour manager, all that kind of stuff. So it's even more sweet now because I'm coming back and, and I have a whole new appreciation for it. And I think that if we would have just made that progression just right on through, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, you know, this is kind of the next level. But it's really, really cool to to get to a spot where, man, like, you know, it's it's one thing to be touring, but when you can do it at that level, it's kind of like you know, there's not a lot of people that's that's at that level and can do it at that way. Right. It's it's a tough business out there, and um, we see. I get a lot of hustlers through here because we're so um, we like to tout ourselves as the Walmart of the nightclubs in <laughs> Vegas because because we compete. Dude, look what we compete against. Yeah, but I mean, 
But, man, I will say this. Like I said earlier, your reputation, um, there's only one other club that I know of in the country that has the same rep- you know, I'm reputation. Gonna, I want to guess it. Is it Joe's? Yep. Yeah. We get that a lot. You know, but like, but I think it's because of how you treat people. It's the hospitality. You guys have a great thing. Everything is already built in as yeah. far as, like, your day sheets, and it just makes it so easy for us. You know, like I said, we got on a flight this morning at 5 a.m., um, left the bus in Nashville, left my monitor guy, and you were like, hey, just come on. It's just you, your tour manager. You know, we're good to go. And so right. we showed up, and, and here we are. And so it feels like we've got our whole crew because you guys are so prepared. Yeah, we don't we don't mess around with that. When So I'll, I'll go back six, seven years. I've been with Chris uh, here at Stoney's for this December. will be 14 uh, the last six, seven years, it's just been him and I doing everything, um, per- pretty much. And he called me one day. We stepped away from the business for about a year. And uh, he goes, you want to do it our way? Well, prior to this, I used to do events at the House of Blues myself. I would four-wall it. Uh, I would bring in my sponsors, beer, Budweiser, all, all that kind of stuff. And I would put bands from Southern California, bands from Vegas. And I would do these shows. And I loved it. But it was all about these bands would want to come play where I was doing shows because they, they got catering. They, yeah. They're playing at a nice venue. The sound was no joke. You know, like it was just a fun thing. And so when we came here to do that, I would sit with Chris and, and part of our whole thing was, I can't pay you to walk away from here and go, that was awesome. I can't pay you to do that. Sure. It's either a good experience or it's not. Absolutely. And, and we all know that bad goes faster than good. Yep. So we pride ourselves on that and we take the time, we take the effort. We've got a good camp. You've met Matt before and, he knows what it's like to be out on the road with a huge band. Well, when I say that we're the Walmart and nightclubs, I mean in a sense like we're we're competing with these hundred million dollar a year like clubs here in Vegas. And how do we draw these people to come here and um, the artists to want to come play here? Because when you get to that next level, you look back at Stoney's and go, hell yeah, that was fun. But I can go here and play for twice as many people, probably make twice as much money as as you grow, and that's yeah. what happens. And that's the tough part for us is like we always have to mold ourselves to the younger bands or the newer bands per, per se. And as they grow and hope that one day they look back and go, dude, I want to go back to yeah, Stoney's. The again. relationships yeah. is what you, you know, you've built, you know, you, you talked about, uh, I think you said Russell Dickerson, you know, what, what has he been here? Se- seven times, seven times, you know, yeah. so like, and, and see what he's doing, you know, and, 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 you know, all the opportunities he's been given, you know, so it's, uh, it's amazing. So that, that speaks mm-hmm. for itself when somebody's willing to come back seven times and play somewhere. Right. Dude, the first time he played here was like 200 people. Wow. That was awesome. The last two times we played, we sold it out, and it was before yours was on Terrestrial. Wow. So we did our job here, and that's what we like to do. We always say if an artist comes back twice, something's going on right. You yep. know, like like they did a good show, or we want to grow with them, that sort of thing. And that's well, that's the fun that we have. Well, I'm I'll, I'm gonna say I'm here one and a half times because <laughs> the, fir- the first the first time was <laughs> an acoustic thing, and so now we're here full band. So Dude, I'm excited so. for it because I mean you've got a history of writing. Yep. Um, how many number ones you got writing? Two number ones for. Cole Swindell, Ain't Worth the Whiskey, and Dustin Lynch, Hell of a Night. Were you just out on the road with Dustin? I was, yeah. We did uh, a run in uh, Missouri, Kansas City and Lampy, Missouri. Um, it was he, fun. He's your buddy. Yeah. So how does that work? How do, how do you get on a show like that? Is it you call him up and go, hey, dude, we'd love to go with you? Or is this like a label booking sort, sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, I think it kind of came through um, Romeo Entertainment. Um, they've been fans of mine um, since I've been at CAA, my booking agent, and right. putting me on some pretty good opportunities. And I think, you know, uh, most times, you know, like for Dustin and I's relationship, I'm sure it was already in the works, and it was just more like, "Hey, Adam's coming out. Oh, heck yeah, I'm good with that." You know, it's right. you know, so I think it's probably that more of the situation. But what what it did do is, you know, because we we do spend so much time together, whether we're on the lake or whatever, you know, uh, or hunting, when we're out on the road, 
we when we were out working, we were like, dude, why don't we do this next year? And like, you know, I'll just come open for you or whatever. And I feel like, and I told I told him and a couple other you know buddies of mine like Cole and you know Chris Lane and some of these people. I'm like, man. It feels good to be in a position now in my career where I can bring some real value to, sure. to you and yeah. not really just rely on our friendships because, sure, you know, you, you get places because of, you know, friendships, but you also get places because of what you can bring also. And so that's what I told them. I was like, man, you know, we could go have a lot of fun, and it's not like you're just throwing me a bone here. You know, we've got a right. lot of good stuff, you know, happening. You're working, so, too. Yeah, okay. you know, and so uh, so I think next year is going to be really, really good for me uh, touring-wise. Do you like um, festival style um, of a setup, or do you like arenas, or do you like small clubs like what we have? Man, I will say regardless if there's um, if there's 500 people or if there are tw- uh, 20,000, I like it when the fans are into it. Right. Like really into it. Doesn't matter how many. Yeah, you know, um, I went, uh, one of my favorite shows I ever uh, did, I went to uh, Country Thunder in Arizona. One of the coolest, rowdiest like crowds ever. It was amazing. There was, you know, probably sixty five hundred, you know, people there. Right. Um, but I've also done club shows where, you know, fifteen hundred and, you know, it's nuts or I've, you know, played all the way to, you know, ten thousand and everybody was sitting down, you know. So it just it really just depends. But I, I like it when, you know, we can actually put on a show and a party for them. Right. I was uh I was sitting in here a couple weeks ago with Michael Ray and he was saying that the things about the festivals, it's not so much the show. He's like, I like to go out where these kids are camping. And he oh, goes, that's yeah, yeah, where the party yeah, is, man. Absolutely, yeah. Which is nuts. I just came back from um, Country Fan Fest up in Utah, uh, beginning of August, and uh, they put on one hell of a show out there, man, the, the artists that play, but then you've got this whole camping experience and the stuff that they have these people do, and like in the mornings, the afternoons, pool parties, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm, I'm a little bit older. Uh, the first year I went, it was crazy because I was out with in this, this little town they call Jaegertown, which there's a band there called Jaegertown, and they build their own little in in out in um, the parking, and they party all night. I'm like, dude, I'm, no. I got my kid with me. I'm like, no, this isn't going to work. So this past year, we were a little bougie, but it was uh, it was cool just to watch, like, all the things that people do out there. Like, he's, Michael wasn't wrong, you know, because these people party. They have a good time. They um, they have their own themes. They it's do their amazing own things. because a lot of these fans too, man. Like this is their one big event every year. Yeah. Like, so they 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 per, you know prepare for this all year. Save and yeah, save. Yeah. You know, and like so that when they go, they go all out. You know. Yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome. It's kind of neat to see all that. What's your favorite part of music? I mean, obviously you're a writer. Uh, yeah. Obviously you recorded <laughs> tunes and you and you play. Like, is there a live live for sure? Uh, you know, songwriting is is what really got my foot in the door with the whole music industry. And just to show you a little bit of fate, how this all kind of happens, I have an uncle that's in the music industry. Um, and when I was about twelve years old, he called me one day and he said, "Hey, have you ever thought about writing songs?" Because I always knew really early on that I wanted to do music. And he said, "Hey, you should." Think about writing songs. That could what, be, did, what was your uncle's job in the industry? He, uh, he's a steel guitar player, um, and he plays on all like the albums and stuff. So okay. he's played on everything from George Jones to Sam Hunt to Taylor Swift. Like just he's a session guy. Yep, gotcha. Okay. And uh, so when I was twelve, he calls and says, "Hey, have you, have you thought about writing songs?" No, you know I, I don't know what that means. Start looking into it. And he said, "You know, you should think about writing songs that could be your way in the music industry one day." So fast forward, that's exactly how I got my start. Moved right. to town. You know, met my group of guys, started co-writing, realized I had a knack for it, got a publishing deal after two years. So songwriting is, is a form of me and something that I always enjoy, and it's always going to be a piece of, of what I do. I love the studio side of it because I'm I'm a perfectionist, man. Like, I love getting stuff right, and I love being really creative. Um, 
that's why I think songwriting and the session stuff goes hand in hand because you're just you're creating something that does not exist. But the live aspect, man, like you just for me, that's uh, that's why we do it. You know, right. that's uh, that's that's what the whole thing revolves around for me. I told my girlfriend not too long ago that um, I'm trying to think what artist was. Obviously, it was pre-COVID, but we had 1,200 people in here, and I went up on the stage before the band went out, and I gave some stuff away. And that 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 particular night, the crowd was so intense. I literally took two steps back because it's that powerful. And I got off the stage. I just remember saying that feeling. I can only imagine. Like I'm just a dude that runs a bar that hands out tickets that introduces the band that sort of thing. Whatever you know, I reap the reward of booking the band, marketing the band, watching them play that sort of thing. But that feeling I had, I, I like you can't put a finger on that. So as an artist, I mean, is that like your drug for it? Yeah, I don't know, man. I just um, <clears throat> I always say music chose me. I didn't pick music. I literally started singing when I was three or four years old. And what I've always tried to remember as, you know, as my career progresses, my goal in this whole industry is I want to be the biggest thing that country music's ever seen. I want to be global, Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, big in country music, but represent country music in a very country way. I mean, you you saw us, we rolled in, I got a steel guitar guy, and you were like, I love that you have a steel guitar player, you know, and I'm like, hey, you know, that's, we want to have that, you know, a part of my show, and so. I don't know. Um, it, it's such a weird thing because I, I just love to sing. Like, I really do. It's not for me that I really care about the fame or the notoriety. I just love to sing, and I want my music to mean something to someone. That's all I really care about. And and so I literally could stand on stage and close my eyes and not see anybody and just sing. And a lot of people have told me that. Like, Man, when you sing, you just sing so hard with a lot of passion. And it's like I just... This is what I do, you know. That's what I lo- what I love. It's, there's nothing else in the world that I love better than singing. I can take a five hour car ride by myself and put on a CD or you know a playlist and sing by myself. And I literally and just yes, and like love every second of it. Let's what? So what song went number one first for you? Well, so funny story. So Hell of a Night and Ain't Worth the Whiskey, they go to radio the same exact day. No way. Nuts. You can't dream it up. <laughs> um, Ain't Worth the Whiskey went 24 weeks, took 24 weeks, went to number one. Hell of a Night, 56. Oh, wow. So, and the other crazy thing is uh, you talk about Michael Ray. I had a single called Real Men Love Jesus yeah. that went to 15. It was rocking, and I was almost, I was 15 spots away from having what we call a triple play award, which is three number ones in one year Wow! in the calendar period. Um, we ended up having my second number one party for Hell of a Night before we had my first number one party for Ain't Worth the Whiskey. So it was crazy how it all, like, transpired and, and how it all, like, yeah. Did you get a together. phone call that says... Tomorrow, this is going number one, sort of thing, or how does that work? Well, you watch a chart, and uh, the the cool. So when the first one went up, I was so young, and I I didn't even know what to, like how to check the chart. Right. You know, I was just hearing from hearsay. Hey, your your. Is it a Billboard chart? Yeah, country? you know, it's a, yeah. So uh, media base, media is basically. Base, right. yep. And um, I would hear people saying, "Hey, you know, it's top ten, top fifteen, top five. It's, it's gonna go number one." And I was like, "Great, awesome." Well. Once it went number one, I'm like, how are, how are you figuring this out? They're like, well, you just go look it up. Right. It's the worst thing ever. Because you sit there. Oh, yeah. Because then, so. Did they update it once a week? Well, they update it every day. Oh, shit. Like daily. Wow. So, 
you know, you're already ba- you got a song that's in the 30s, and it shows good, you know, uh, ratings, and, and you know, and it climbed, you know, 300 spins, and you're already thinking. Oh, I got a number one, and then it'll be down, you know, two slots. And you're like, oh god, it's gonna, you know, it's fail. like blackjack, dude. Dude, it's crazy. <laughs> Literally, I used to worry myself to death, and finally, like uh, after after the hell of an eye or the uh, the real man love Jesus thing, I was like, I don't, I'm not even gonna look at this anymore because it will literally drive you insane. Like it's uh, it's because it's just what you think could happen versus what it could, and and none of it, you can't, you're not gonna change it either way. Sure. You know, so, is that feeling just as good as a song? So like when. When Dustin Lynch goes n- number one, obviously you're happy for two reasons. The yep. song went number one. You're happy for your buddy. I'm going to go three reasons. <laughs> and uh, the mailbox one. Yeah. Shit like that gets good. But is that feeling, does it anywhere uh, relate to the feeling of your own music in a sense? No, I don't think so. I think I, I've described to people, they're like, well, you've accomplished so much. Like, you know, I, at this point, as a songwriter, I have 45 cuts with. Luke Bryan and Dirk Billy, you right. know Cole Swindell, Blake Shelton. I mean, you name them. I mean, I've I've been able to write for them, and uh, I've had two number ones, which is you know crazy. It's huge. But I feel like I've reached half. I'm I'm halfway up the mountain that I set for myself. Like it's great. I have a number one, but now I want to be the guy singing it. Right. So how yeah. do you how do you write a song? And not take it. Like, do you just have that feeling inside that that's not for me? Well, I think uh, for me, it was more of a strategic, you know, thing. Um, sometimes you gotta, you know, give a little, take a little. And sure. I, and I and I knew that, you know, early on, it was more of man, the more cuts I can get, it's only gonna benefit what I do. So, um, hell of a night. I I played it for Dustin. We were out on the road. It was actually on hold for Jason Aldean at the time. I played it for him, and I was like, dude, check this out. And he was like, I, I love this. I gotta record it. Right. Um. For Ain't Worth the Whiskey, Cole and I wrote it together um, with our buddy Josh Martin, and we always joked um, whoever got a record deal first was going to record that song because it was on hold for so many other artists and nobody recorded it, and and it just kind of kept slipping through the cracks, and and so that's how that situation happened. But I think as I've got as I've progressed in my career. Um, when I started recording for the album, that was the first time I felt like I was in a spot to say, okay, I wrote this, and I'm not going to pitch this to anyone. When I would turn it into my publisher, hey, this is off limits. I'm hanging in, hanging on for me. Right. And it feels good to be to a spot of that way. Um, you know, But I still try to go in every day and write the best song I can possibly write. It's a little more of a strategic approach now because we're getting ready to go in for album two. And uh, and I know what I need to feel, and uh, as far as like slots, as far as the album, you know, I still need a couple things here and there, and so I'm kind of thinking of that. But I still, you know, you can't force them. You know, you just got to go in sure. and write what you write that day, and whatever they fall out, and if they work for you, they work for you. If they work for someone else, you know, it's great too. So your new single, mm-hmm. you have an album out now. It's already yes. been how many yep. singles are on there? So there's uh, twelve songs on the album. Um, we have released one single off of that um, album, and man, it's nuts! In 15 weeks' time, I don't even know what it is, but I, I, my publicist called me the other day, and they were like, "You've had 25 million streams in 15 weeks on the album, which is pretty nuts." And the and the single um, is over 15, you know, and so it's been doing really well. Um, we're probably gonna go one more. That song's called "What If I'm Right," and we named the album "What If I'm Right," not because of the song. So, Toad, get this: you'll you'll you like gambling. We're we're in Vegas, so all these songs that I've written for other people, I basically sold my catalog 
to self-fund my new project. And I literally bet the farm. I took my retirement money and I said, all right, I'm going to take money that I would potentially make and draw over the next 10 or 15 years. I'm going to get a lump sum up front. Right. I'm going to take all that money and I'm going to put it into my career. And it was like, well, what if I'm right? Sort Dude, of I love so it. That's basically what, what happened with the whole th- uh, project. And so far, so good. We're, uh, we're doing well. Um, but uh, but we have a song called Bible Verses that I think we're going to go with uh, after What If I'm Right. Is that already uh, out on streaming platforms? Yes, it's it's out, but we haven't necessarily pushed it you know, yet. Right. So we're still on What If I'm Right as, as the one. Are you are you signed to a label? No, independent. Independent. Yes. I have a neat story for you. And my buddy Steven, luckiest dude I've ever met when it comes to music. Actually, in everything that he does. He's just a really neat guy. Older, 15 years ago, whatever it was, he walked into a studio in L.A., and he was recording this song called Cowgirl. Mm-hmm. And Cliff Notes, Slash was in the studio, ends up recording the guitar parts for it. This single comes out well. It was in radio for a while. He was making good money off of it. iTunes was the only thing out back then. Mm-hmm. It's been that long. So they re-released it. It's got a million streams on it right now. Spotify, he doesn't own it anymore. That's the sh- shitty part. Well, he just comes across these opportunities that are just someone's like it's the neatest thing he's a he's the greatest dude in the world like he'll give you the shirt off your back but he deserves everything he's getting he independent artist had a single called break the light last year it went to number 37 on the billboard pop independent no push no money just organic like the neatest thing in the world and i think that's to me sometimes that's what's missing from music is that opportunity for stuff as an independent artist such like yourself to to get out there take the writing shit out of it like just as an artist like i don't that's got to feel good knowing that that music is growing people are streaming but i keep hearing the story of just because you have the stream doesn't mean you're going to have the hard ticket sell but i look at it in a sense of where else are these people finding their music exactly so i get frustrated with the terrestrial radio world side of it all because I know that a lot of the people on West Coast, they don't listen to radio like that. Mm-hmm. They, they stream. And the world we live in is so millennial entitled that it's crazy that, hey, man, if I don't like that song, next. Correct. Next. Next. So, I mean, it means something to me. 100%. I think, uh, for me, my personal view is I don't know of any person under the age of 30 that probably listens to radio actively that actively seeks you know they probably have you know they have it on right music discovery in my opinion is all social media and it's all streaming yeah i do think that obviously covid is probably throwing a major wrench in to hard ticket sales when it comes to a lot of the stuff i mean everyone i mean fgl canceled tickets for you know streaming uh number ones you know whatever you know it didn't matter um and so I think that moving forward, um, I think terrestrial radio will will have a place, but I still, but I think it's it's getting easier and more of a level playing field than it ever has been because of technology. And I'm a prime example of that because, like I said, I now have about 145 million streams as a as an independent artist. Never had a single on radio whatsoever, and I'm getting opportunities now to go open for Carrie Underwood in, you know, uh, Seattle, or go to the NASCAR race and do the pre-race show, or you know whatever these opportunities come to Stoney's and 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 headline. And so I think that people 
fans don't necessarily care if it's I don't I don't think if, they if dive they're labeled they, they, they I don't think they know they they don't, don't dive understand that deep it. into yeah. it right yeah. they it, it's either they they like it or they don't yeah it's kind of like one of those things that that you can't train them per per se I have a little story for you that the the Toad's tune stuff what this is all about um one of the major terrestrials came around and they asked me to remove everything online and move it to their platform and I said what do I get out of it because I know you're going to monetize it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not making any money on it right now. I do this because it's passion. I love music. I love to introduce people to new artists and hopefully gain fans. My favorite is when I get a phone call or a text that says, dude, I didn't know so-and-so did that, that sort of thing, but whatever. But their response to me was, we'll take your stuff, we'll put it on our platform, and we'll make you famous. Yeah. You know what my answer was? I have a brand yeah. new clothing line. Yeah. I am famous I, yeah. enough. I think that, okay, was, yeah. <laughs> that was literally my response. Yeah. And I sit back and I go, man, like what's what's going to happen to the world when you when you when you have music and you have a millennial mindset that that allows you to just take whatever you want, consume whatever you want so easily that like, do you want a record deal? I guess that's what I go for. Like, yeah, I mean, I will say this. I've been offered uh, record deals through my whole career. I have not found the right record deal for me. Right. I'm not saying that I would not sign one. But but at this point, what is a label going to do for me that I can't already do for myself? Do you know Cody Johnson? Yep. He sat right there, and I asked him the same goddamn question. You know what his response was? Probably about the same thing. I about just the same said. thing. He walked into all these places. They would offer him stuff, and he would, as the gentleman he is, tip his hat. And, Thank you. Thank you. I'll give you this. He's already got that. I got two of those. You know, no. What can you? How can you get me to the next yeah. level? Because how can you partner with me that brings value to yes. what I do? Yeah, and look what he did. He signed a partnership that and a good one. Yeah, from from what I know. But but you know, he was he was in a good spot too because he had music that was working and translating. And so right. that's the key. You have to have music that is going to translate and is going to work. And um, and then I think that you know the rest will all take care of itself. But I do think I describe it as this way. Before, you know, streaming came along, music was like a vending machine. You were told, you look and you say, you have your choice between A1, A2, A3, B, C. Right. Now it's like Costco. Yeah. Go in, you can find anything you want. In bulk. (laughs) Yes. So it's it's literally, if your job as as an artist and my job is to make my music accessible enough to people... Let them be the judges of it. If they like it, they'll consume it. If they don't, right? Are you on TikTok? Yeah. Do you get a lot of stuff from there? No, I I don't I don't know if uh, I think TikTok is a great tool. Um, TikTok is something that that I use as a social media platform, but it's not my main focus. Sure. I think that there's there's certain things that you can do to to help your situation with TikTok, but I think it's a it's a slippery slope. I, I I'm gonna agree on certain th- things. I'm gonna agree a thousand percent. Um, I was at sushi with one of my best friends and his girlfriend and my girlfriend, and we were leaving. And I put on, I think the song's called "Gone Too Soon." Andrew Janokas, mm-hmm. and we were on our way here to see a show or something like that. And I'm playing it. She's in the back seat of my truck, and she's singing it. And I go, "How the hell do you know this song?" And in response. TikTok, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow!" I have a lot of friends that 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 that's how they find new music and yep. stuff like that. But I think it's a uh, my thirteen year old. <laughs> I signed up for TikTok probably a year ago, and I just have posted like three or four things on it. And I'm learning that actually I posted four things. One was an Austin Burke video probably eight months ago. Mm-hmm. 
didn't even break 200. Mm-hmm. Then I posted something with Trent Tomlinson, uh, Jared Neiman, and Love and Theft here, uh, 2,800 views or whatever. Then I posted something with Stephen Carey here. Mm-hmm. Um, did like not even 200 again. And then Randy Hauser played here for a diamond thing, over 4,000. Wow. And it's kind of like, for me to learn that algorithm is going to drive me bananas, but I'm an analytical guy like that. So it's kind of like how... How do people consume that stuff, and w- what's the end goal for it? I mean, I understand that it helps you grow with stuff, but I always look back at the same thing. Um, how can you make money off of it to further your career, to keep you doing what, what you're doing? And streaming, you get monetized, so I know you guys make money off it, which you should. You should always. But that's why I look back and go, does radio change that for you? Like, if you get that number one, does it change your streaming? I don't think so. No, I don't I, think I, it I, does. yeah, I, th- I think it would be a um, an added. It would be an added uh, weapon to your arsenal. Fair. I don't think that they compete against each other. I think it would be, but here's the, here's the tricky thing with with radio. Unless right now you are on a major label, and you are sl- slated as one of the top four or five artists of that label, the chances of you having a number one are about that much. Right. I don't care how much money you got. You could roll in. You could you could move to Nashville tomorrow, and you could have $100 million in your pocket. Dusty Black. Okay. And you could go to radio. Guarantee you won't get a number one. Right. How you, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird game right now. Um, very, very few on independent um, promotions teams. So, therefore, it goes back to the label of, okay, I have no interest to just sign with you guys sure. to be 12th in line. Right. Maybe. If you tell me, hey, Adam, you're our on-the-verge um, artist for 2022. You're our CRS New Faces for 2022. You uh, are on this first of three tour with this uh, act who is on our label, Um which is you know megastar, all these things of why these guys are winning the the race. Yeah, my buddy Martin Truex is out here. We, we talked about you know him being a NASCAR driver. This is what I explain. It takes talent to be in the music industry, but everybody is good enough to be on the field when you get to our level. Agreed. It's whoever has the fastest car is going to win the race. Yeah. So if you can put yourself in a position to drive a fast car, you're going to win. It's great when you have a good driver and a good car. That's when you go win championships. It's a good analogy. But you could have a good car and a bad driver, you're still going to do all right. Right. Or you could have a good driver and a bad car, and you're going, you know, somewhere. So, so I've always said, man, for me, my goal is to get the same opportunities as as other guys that have major deals, and watch what we can do. I think the neat part of you is that you've proven yourself as a writer. Yeah. In the industry, um, Sam Grow, know him? Mm-hmm. He he reposted something that Bobby Bones posted. Uh, I think a lot of people in the industry talk, talking about it. But he talked about the number one, and how the labels talk Conveyor back and belt. forth, yeah. dude. And they go back and forth. 100%. Like, I asked the question of, uh, is he leaving iHeart? Because that was a pretty bold statement to say that the labels sit down and they talk about, hey man, this guy gets it this week. You want it next week? All right, you get it next week. And that's where. I've said for two years, I showed you earlier, Oops! I interviewed Ben Gallagher three years ago, and I was asking the question back then, what's up with the entitled number one? Because 
my girlfriend's a little younger than me and not really a huge Steve Miller band, but until I die, I'll be listening to Steve Miller band because their songs are timeless. Yep. And does that happen today? I would say that if, if we had 20 number ones in country music in a year, how many of those are we going to listen to in 10 oh, years from now? It's very, very few. That's yeah. where I get frustrated as, as a consumer of music and as a guy that, that books bands. And a puts couple things. Though. Think th- so I'll, I'll challenge you here on this. We could go down this rabbit hole for so long. Two things. Two, two points here. I think because of technology and our society, we're, we're a much faster-paced society. Right. And things just happen fast. I would only name, in my opinion, four or five songs in the last decade that I know of that will be timeless and stay around forever. But Chattahoochee and The Dance and Friends in Low Places and all these songs that were like in the 90s, those things are going to stay around forever. Forever. But how old is your daughter? 13. If you ask your daughter... What is going to last around forever for her and Timeless? I wonder what if her response would be different of songs. You know what, because, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask her. Because your, my Timeless songs are what I grew up on. Her Timeless is probably what she's growing up on. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there. Okay. I'm going to disagree because I didn't necessarily grow up listening to Steve Miller Band. Um but, uh, but again, I go back and, and I'll listen to the bands from that era that just played good music. Even Kansas for that. Ario mm-hmm. Speedwagon. You know, like, you go back and listen to that. Like, Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson. Um, they picked the right songs. Mm-hmm. And they did the right things with them. And, and I don't know if it's because of our culture today that allows you to go and just push something aside well, and that's move on to I the think, next. I think it's just so fast-paced. And it's just right. like, on to the next, on to the next. But I do think that as a industry, we probably... As a songwriter, I know we're not writing timeless songs. But if you want a successful song, that doesn't necessarily line you up as for timeless either. Like, right. you, do you want to go get a number one on radio that's literally a softball pitch that's a, a 4156 progression that's like 90 BPM that's literally the template to get a number one that's really easy to listen to and it's you lob it and, yeah, it's number one? Or do you try to write the house that built me that wins song of the year and you know sure uh, you know so it's like you want to get paid or you want to you know try to write some timeless and strike out you know what? so it's it's such a weird thing. What about a guy like Luke Combs? What about him, dude? Was that seven number ones in a row? Probably yeah. He's got good writers in his bag. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think some of those songs you could listen to forever. I remember the first time I listened to um, I, I, uh, Beer Never Broke My Heart. Yep. I was like, I don't get this. I don't get it. But it's Luke Combs, so you sit back and maybe that's mm-hmm. the, the side of it. you know. But then I listen to some of his other stuff, and you're just like, dude, like this. I love Ray Fulcher. Mm-hmm. I love the stuff that he writes. I love that he's turning the corner. No different than you. I don't think he's much different than you in that sense. He started out as a writer, and now he's mm-hmm. trying to do his own thing with his own career, which is freaking rad. I, I mean... I think I've come across so many of these artists, but then I look at the other artists that don't write at all, that just go through a book and they pick the songs and they look good and boom, there they are. Mm-hmm. But then I look at an Ashley McBride that, you know, she, she, she sings shit that... She's badass. Dude, she <laughs> sings shit that you couldn't sing and get exactly. away with it. Yeah. And, you know, why is that? And, you know, I, I go the same as Luke. He's not that guy that you look at and go, dude, I'm going to take him home tonight, you know, but... It's authentic. It's authentic. That's why. Both of them played here. Luke Combs was touring with Corey Smith. Ashley McBride played here, and two weeks later, blew up and went on the road with George Strait. Two weeks. 
That's how lucky we got. Hopefully the same happens with you. I hope. Dude, I wish you the best. Thanks for Thank the time you. today. Absolutely. Tell people how to find you online. Adam Sanders uh, on any social platform. Easy to find it. Don't get it confused with Sandler. Sanders. Dude, I have to jump on that real quick. Oh, here so, we go. I dude, opened the can of worms. No. I, I mean, I wanted to talk about it earlier because ever since, I'm trying to think of the single that I played before, before What If I'm Right, um, but my friends would take pictures of the screen. Oh, yeah. And it's Adam Sandler. And I'm like, this is so weird because it only does it in CarPlay. Yes. It's the only place that yes. does it. And I and I would post like as a joke. You should listen to the song because Adam Sandler thinks it's all right. He's on the cover. Yeah. Like that was my joke yeah, back yeah. and forth. But I mean, is there's gotta be something with an ID tag somewhere. Is it just because it's Dude, that close? <laughs> we have called my management company has called Grace Note, all these like um uh, whoever builds these softwares and they swear that it's right in their system. But you know, it's not just me. Um, go, I, they might've gotten it changed. Dan and Shay, their picture used to be a picture of Dan Sills. I don't even know if you remember who Dan Sills is. He was like in the eighties. Um, um, yeah, it's nuts. Uh, that, yeah. Uh, everything that glitters is not gold. I know that song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. I don't. I don't. Or it's uh. Go look at Kenny Chesney's picture. Or Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber is twelve years old in his picture. Right. You know, uh, it's it's the worst pictures of all pictures. It, none of them are are any good. But uh, I have a friend that works for Ford because Ford is one of them. It's Ford and Toyota's uh, manufacturers, and they were like. Well, you don't have to worry about it because Grace Note doesn't have the contract for the you know, next couple of years anyway. So, so like, you're that, good. Yeah, so you'll be gone. So it'll be fine. So. I think it's the neatest thing in the world when I get the photo. Yeah. Got that. I think it's great. Thanks, thanks again for that. Absolutely. Yeah.